episode seven of the Heatway Yeah, we are in the we're in the Brooklyn podcast sauna. Oh man, I can't believe like what chaps my ass the most is that we have to share weather with London. I don't want to share. I don't want to share anything with those limey bastards. Yeah, it is normally like this every last week of July. You yeah, know? it's always there's always been one really bad week in New York, so you can't complain too much. But I guess uh, the old UK is not used to it, and they they're getting in the bins. They're getting it. They they're filling their bin up with water, getting their <laughs> cocktail, and going in the bin. Did you see that video? Some guy went in the bin. This is not bad. If I want to have a, a swim in my own bin on the hottest day that we've ever had in England, then I'm entitled to do so. Mate, I'm who just... Who are you to stop me? No, 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 I, I'm not trying to I stop you. Who are you to stop me? I'm not trying to stop you, mate. No, I'm Who just... Who am I supposed to swim if I can't swim in my own bin? Go to the leisure centre, mate. Leisure centre? Yeah. I don't know if it was a bit or something. Don't was... go in the bin, man. The bin is not going to be cooler than outside. Well, he I... filled it up with water, so it's like a little swimming oh, pool for Oh, I him. see. Yeah. Well, I hope the bin man... Is okay with that. I like that they call it bin man. That's kind of charming, actually. <laughs> Trash collector, garbage man, bin man. Um, we It is fucking hot as hell in here, man. The AC managed to go out right in the midst yeah. of a heat wave. Coming live from Hades Scorching Maw, the Antifada. We're going to try to bring some like sauna energy to this shit, I guess. Like We're at the, the Russian-Turkish baths. You know, We just had a couple of... Um, nice tasty lagers or something like that and we're talking philosophy as one does at the russian bath but also when it gets hot outside when it gets hot and humid here in new york people get a little angry they get a little unhinged they start talking to themselves arguing with themselves settling scores in their heads so yeah you gotta watch it uh whose toes you stepped on and Let's just say uh, some people on Twitter stepped on our toes, and we're gonna we're gonna vent here. Uh, we're gonna here vent. and in the the bonus. But what, what, yeah. what can we start off with? This week? Uh, what can we start off with, with this week? Uh, we could start off with um, how well the little Project Org thing is going that uh, I talked about in last week's bonus. Project Mayhem. Project Mayhem. <laughs> Those credit card towers are going down. Now, we have uh, a couple of working groups that are coming together, and we got another of our weekly meetings coming in just just after this uh, podcast recording session, and uh, managed to have friend Lucas Bordeaux. Do you know them? There's a left-com yeah. militant from, uh, from Montreal, sat in on stuff and really helped to clarify, I think, the difference between, uh, let's say, what communist orgs or sects have been trying to do recently. So you're doing Bordegist practice. We are doing Bordegism. Yeah. Watch out, Antifa. We're coming for you. <laughs> I had served its purpose. It was. It still does. Yeah. It still will potentially serve its purpose in the future. But uh, no, you were one of the early ones out of the gate with the Bordigas critique. Right. Well, you just can't. You can fight racists, but that doesn't fight race. And that's becomes very apparent after you've been doing Antifa stuff for a period of time. Yeah, it's like the, that version of uh, you cannot bomb a social relation. Mm-hmm, exactly. Classic old fa- phrase that they didn't really get in the 1960s and 70s. <laughs> yeah. The last great era of uh, political violence. Very interesting to put things into perspective. Like, there was shit like in the 1970s. We talk about political violence nowadays. They would like, militants would like bomb LaGuardia Airport, and like pl- pl- the planes wouldn't even stop running. <laughs> this is just like a thing, you know. I don't know. Maybe with all this heat wave, we're coming back, back to the uh, the years of lead. Well, it's stochastic lead. Stochastic lead. That's true. It's not like a gladio lead, yeah. and it's not like an adventurous lead. It's not like a weather underground or something like that. It's like people reading too many memes. It's more like. Uh Andre Breton's Surrealist Manifesto, when he talks about the the highest act of a surrealist, sure. is to uh, walk down the street and open fire into a random crowd. <laughs> oh, and he wrote this in like the twenties, and his point was surrealism is about just completely unloading on the the social forms and the the day to day existence and sure. trying to completely violently transgress and rewrite, and right. so. Random acts of terrorism are just like the highest surrealist act. Mm. And um, I think we see that today when people just like have to, they see these mass shootings and what do they do? They just scratch their heads. Like, what do these mean? Why yeah. do these people do this? Why does it keep happening? And there's never a singular answer. No. And 
uh, except for that these people are kind of expressing themselves in this like extremely violent, suicidal, surrealist way. But the problem is surrealism wore itself off as yeah. like a as a political vanguard in what just, the 30s and yeah, just as um, as modernism wore itself out by the 1970s, right? There's something like deeply like postmodern about this. Did you see the the, the kid that? Uh, uh, he was like a rapper. He shot up the fucking Fourth of July yeah. parade. He had uh, like a whole bunch of like little like curated YouTube videos, like right. you know, pointing to the sort of things that he was going to do. And he was like linking to his like SoundCloud right. rapper account and stuff. And he yeah, had, he was an artist, and he, and the, the 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 mass shooting was part of his art. Yeah, uh, but. It is not good art. It sucks. I mean, it sucks. Your because, art sucks, dude. You killed fucking animals. Yeah, because it's like a horrible thing to do, and you're a monster if you think there's anything good that can come out of that. It just, I think it just goes to show, like, not only how worn out politics has become, yeah. some people just see random murder as, like, their political avenue, but also how worn out arts become. Yeah, no, for, for sure, 100%. I'm going to have to cut this out. This is insane. No, this is great. <laughs> Do not fucking cut this, God damn it! Le- at least put it in the bonus or something right, like that. Right. We're, we're going to say that because cause you, you talk about surrealism, which has connections to, like, um, you know, the Communist Party, various Communist parties, right? Like, some members. Yeah, they're Trotskyists. Right, yeah, so, <laughs> they so they're right they in your fucking, international. right in your fucking wheelhouse. But then you also had, like, the dark side of it, which is futurism, which ends up having, like, a lot of overlap with um, Italian fascism. and But also the Bolsheviks. So this is right. also, this is the same thing. Like, the futurists in uh, in Italy, yeah, they, they go with Mussolini eventually, but then the futurists in Russia go with the Bolsheviks and they were both the same like they 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 were all friends they were all working and writing together and then they just went with whichever historical current they yeah. could attach themselves to because their ideology was the future it wasn't right. any sort of political or like was, vision for society but it was necessarily revolutionary though they're both picking up on like revolutionary right. currents because fascism you know is a revolutionary like modernist, but also anti-modern right. ideology. It's yeah, kind of it's like social revolutionary, romanticism, yeah. like revolutionary romanticism. So it fits in well, like with the sort of like pose and cultural forms that like transgressive mm-hmm. art of the early 20th century would take on. But you're right. Like we don't have transgressive art anymore. Um, at least like transgression has exhausted itself. It seems like over the last like 50 years. We have yeah, pastiche, you have you know? every artist who thinks that they're, they're going to, wake society up and jolt yeah. them from their slumber like uh which never happened yeah i mean like mayakovsky did it in like yeah. 1912 or whatever but you know that's a long time ago and you guys uh most of this shit's boring now you know? yeah well and it's also great it's like mostly for money laundering that dickhead with the fucking skull covered in diamonds what's his name uh hurst yeah. damien hurst he's like the or artist of our age yeah, he's great. He's, he's, he's like he's like Warhol. He gets it. It's yeah. about money. It's, it's about, about commodities. fucking money. It's about commodities. valuable objects. Right. Yeah. It's about giving rich people something. That to is what art is. That's why War, War, Warhol is just as situationist. He he understood art just as much as a situationist did. Just from another perspective, he was like like he was like the we're f- merging art and life, and it's about making money and financing your endeavors as an artist, it's, which is also you know, on what an the industrial sex, scale. What the Sex Pistols were about too. You know, I'm but, watching Pistol. I'm enjoying it. Oh, are you? Yeah. I never, I haven't seen it. It's it, good. Yeah, it's I, everyone says it sucks, but so far it's good. All right, fuck the haters. This <laughs> yeah. is a pro. Pistols There's a whole podcast. episode about Pauline. <laughs> Pauline, who? He, uh, she lives in a tree. The the protagonist of oh, Bodies, okay. the oh, cool. the anti-abortion song. Cool. Apparently, well, she's that's... a real person. They had a whole episode about like you know, the band meets Pauline and writes the song about her. That's, that's very great. that's very topical. For uh, certainly the United States these days, we have a show, right? I mean, we're not just baking in the heat right now, in the midst of a heat wave, sitting mm-hmm. in a hot apartment right now with barely any ventilation. We also have a show, and we can decide whether that goes in the bonus or stays. But um, classic, classic Sean and Andy news episode. You know it, you love it. We're talking shit today. In fact, we're going to kind of get in that hot take economy and, and do again that smart thing that we did when we talked about the, the Finkelstein stuff. And we're going to go behind the paywall and we're going to talk about what Andy alluded to before, which was the hot topic of um, our Starbucks workers, baristas, bourgeois. Yeah, I'm going to have a very hot take on Andy's that. Andy's going to say gonna yes. Hear. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> uh, I guess we wanted to talk a little bit about um, some workers' struggles, uh, some very conflictual ones like the, uh, the trucker strike at the L.A. port. Uh, did you read about that thing? So California passed a law in uh, 2019 against the mischaracterization of workers as independent contractors, right? So you think to yourself, all well and good. The uh, Teamsters uh, celebrated this uh, law. I think it's AME5 in, um, in California. Well, just this last week, thousands of independent truckers who are the ones that do the short-haul work of moving containers out of the humongous, the largest port in America, or by volume anyways, the port of uh, Long Beach and Los Angeles, they're short-haul independent contractor truckers who go and pick the containers up and then move them to various different logistics nodes, which take them out to their like intermediate and their final destinations. So these truckers were protesting against being unmisclassified. Mm. And you know who stood by them? The, the, a, the ILWU. Okay. They recognized their picket line. So what, uh, what do you see the broader significance of this being? That Theory Communiste was correct and that uh, workers are rejecting uh, workers' identity. What no, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting, right? Because like the communization or like that part of the communization um, thesis is like a periodization that like workers' identity itself has become a barrier to struggle, right? Mm-hmm. That you, you see all in the, the last 30 years, 40 years or so, a series of what they call suicidal struggles where it's basically like a plant is closing down or workers are getting fucked so hard that they basically just like blow up the entire. Uh, yeah. Like, they take the boss hostage right. and their demands are not for to, to seize the factory and continue production, but to have a better severance. Exactly. Yeah. Big battles over like we want a hundred thousand euro separation fee as opposed to like 50,000. So and this is a, a particularly uh, resonant, image of deindustrialization and what the workers movement looks like during and after that process because it's you know the the classical leftist imaginary is the workers seize the factories and continue production but now workers don't want to continue production right i mean this is the thesis of uh tc of theory communist or at least they don't want to continue unnecessary production and the what isn't understood as necessary is is shifting and this is like a deeper question of value yeah and what we see in this particular um trucker strike like against becoming employees right because we you know this goes back to a lot of the debate and confusion around say the what was it called the freedom convoy in canada that went into ottawa and it was like largely right wing um it was largely like owner operators uh what could be considered you know petty bourgeois it was uh, at least the founders of it, the people who started this freedom convoy, uh, were like virulently anti-union to the point that they had in a previous demonstration, like basically broke a picket line of a of a of a, of a strike happening in uh, in Western Canada, and so this particular instance here in in, in Los Angeles, I mean, we can talk about the theory communist theories and and all that, but. Um, it's very interesting to think about workers um, holding on to their independent contractor status as like as an aspira- as a reality and also as an aspiration, and seeing the idea of becoming tethered to uh, a company, becoming an actual employee of a firm that they're only now legally like tangentially related to. They incur a lot of the costs of their own social reproduction, uh, but presumably they own outright or at least are lent. A vehicle that they can consider consider their own, their own means of production. Um, American workers, uh, many of them immigrants too, fighting against being classified as workers is a very interesting development, and and goes uh, some way towards um, some of the issues we'll talk about when we talk about inflation later on. Um, when which you see in like the Dutch farmers' strikes, you saw those huge blockades that the yeah I, yeah. I haven't read too much about them, but it's about a. Uh uh, like uh, nitrogen caps or something like that. Yeah, it's about nitrogen caps specifically because the Netherlands has built like this tremendously productive uh, agro 
capital apparatus where like on their small little spit of land there in the low countries they're able to produce like massive amounts of especially beef but also like greenhouse vegetables and a lot of flowers a lot of like really good cash uh, commodities so that the dutch agricultural economy is like considered by the bourgeois press to be like the you know the best one in the world but of course what that means is using <clears throat> nitrogen based fertilizers on like obviously a mass industrial scale which is destroying the rest of the ecosystem around there. Mm. So the um the, and and this is where it ties into what we saw with Gilets jaunes because mm-hmm. what ends up happening is um those bureaucrats um those neoliberal friends of ours over in the EU um trying to figure out a way to face I guess uh sort of broader climate and environmental challenges uh, passed a law several years ago that said that these nitrogen uh, discharges have to be reduced and it put the onus on the farmers themselves um, to like cut back on how much they produce when it comes to like uh, cattle and stuff like that and so a, a, a movement of basically like petty capitalists like petty commodity producing farming capitalists um rose up in the Netherlands against these environmental regulations, spurred on oftentimes by, like, the right sector, by, like, the populist right of the Netherlands, and actually shut down Dutch society for a good amount of time, causing, like, huge backlash and and, uh, among, like, the sort of polite, you know, center-left and Mm -hmm. and left of uh, of the Netherlands and the EU, because it was seen as, like, fully retrograde and uh, fully tied into, like, these right-wing populist forces. But it's... but, But it... The reason why they tie together, of course, right, is like this question of classification and composition and all and who the like as crisis continues, not just economic crisis that squeezes everybody, uh, but also as the environmental crisis picks up, like who's going to bear the brunt of these things? Mm -hmm. You know, is it going to um, is it going to be these these farmers who say what you want about them have a tremendous amount of social power mm-hmm. to shut shit down? You know, you're talking about the people that f- produce the fucking, you know, massive amounts of food for society. Those people being alienated says a lot, I think, about the way that capital seeks to solve the big capital and the, and the bourgeoisie seeks to sort of mitigate climate and environmental issues. And also, importantly, the sort of reactions we're going to see against those, you know? Yeah, and... Uh uh, you you saw that in in uh, Ecuador as well with these kind of fuel strikes, and you see it, uh, I think, most notably in Sri Lanka, which is in some way connected to this organic farming scheme. Yeah. Um, by the Rajapaksa administration, and you know, people who defend or- organic farming will say, like, look, what they did was totally ridiculous it had nothing to do with organic farming itself but it was trying to the, cut down on imports so they had more cash reserves exchange dollars right the per, um well it was uh i think sold as an environmentalist policy it was but um, the, but the but i heard the, the the secondary reason was because there were so many dollars going out in order to get like imports of uh, fertilizer oh, okay. that they thought that they could also solve the currency crisis that they're going and sovereign debt crisis that Sri Lanka is going through at the same time as oh, okay. like <clears throat> making nods towards environmentalism. But, but, but anyway, the, the perception of these environmentalists and green capitalist type maneuvers, uh, including the Green New Deal, and you know, I think it's the right generally cast it as like the Great Reset. Um, right, yeah means a lot of things but i think to a lot of people it means this idea that there will be these international technocratic solutions for various crises including health crises and, and environmental crises and it's going to come through a further centralization of uh of capital amongst uh, a smaller amount of uh international firms and it's going to come at, at, with the centralization of international power yeah. uh, through the World Bank or UN or whatever. And so um, the right obviously responds to this and, say, and, and tries to assert small capital, the, the petty bourgeois, small right. farmers, small truckers, um, the, uh, the right of, uh, of, of you know, local petty bourgeois figures to determine if they wear a mask or not or if right. they're vaccinated or not. Um, and it begins to take the uh, appearance of liberty and freedom when you 
compare it to the people like Bill Gates or sure. George Soros right, or, right. or whatever. Uh, these people who think that they know best for the entire world. And who are real av- avatars of like a, a sort of capitalist, like global capitalist developmental process, mm-hmm. especially when you see what Bill Gates is doing uh, with agriculture like trying to uh, have a new green revolution in Africa, for example, Mm -hmm. putting tons of money into getting um, African farmers to take up the sort of industrial agricultural techniques that led to, say, the farming population of the United States to go from like 25% 100 years ago down to like 2%. It's like a massive centralization of agricultural production in Africa that they're pushing alongside a proletarianization, of course, mm-hmm. of like large swaths of Africa. These are like, I, I sound like a conspiracy theorist because it's about Bill Gates or whatever, but look at what he's doing with his Africa initiative. It is like Well, a, this has been the West <clears throat> policy towards Africa yeah. and then China's policy as well. China right. is a huge part of, of this kind of proletarianization process in, in Sri Lanka as well. And people rightfully connect a lot of these schemes with austerity uh, and now inflation, because where does inflation come from? Well, it comes from a lot of places, but one of them is certainly the war. And Mm -hmm. what's the war? It's the battle between these two, like, imperial blocks, you know? Uh, And so, like, this only increases resentment towards elites and, and, like, international power structures and so we have the the, the question of uh, production of essential commodities like gas and food in the hands of the elites and we're seeing the the, the prices of it rise mm. we're seeing the spread of pandemic and war loss um, of livelihoods right there's yeah. going to be obviously complete delegitimization of the elites and then who are the people fighting against them well it's the petty bourgeois and of course right. they don't have any actual solutions because they're at the uh they're they're at the mercy of the market yep. and they're at the mercy of geopolitics just like the elites are um, and ultimately they're in competition with one another which allow which does not allow them to make a permanent sort of political block mm-hmm. um, but they can assert that there is a under some sort of petty bourgeois dictatorship, which is essentially what Trumpism is all about. <laughs> yeah. We can get rid of the elites. We can drain the swamp of right. these <clears throat> bureaucrats and technocrats, uh, and we can uh, install the the normal people like right. uh, Mike Pompeo, for example, <laughs> and uh, deeply normal. Yeah, all thing. these like alt right chuds. You yeah. know, these are these are like the the uh, true Americans that they want to install yeah. and. You know, hopefully we won't have to go, keep going through that process before people totally reject these petty bourgeois vanguardist po- politics. Yeah, no, I mean, we're going to uh, move on to inflation uh, because that's a big, big part, obviously, of uh, what we're seeing, like a, a global reaction that's taking a lot of different forms. And, of course, to like the d- decline of so many people, everybody's livelihood, unless you're fucking bourgeois. Um, but, you know, we... The, the risk of this, well, there's a lot of risks. Of course, we know what the social basis of fascism is. Uh, and, of course, that is, like, exactly this sort of threatened, déclassé, uh, petty bourgeois base. Uh, but also, too, as I think we've talked about on this show, um, there's also a section of the working class that ends up, um, you know, connecting their plight, uh, their uh, experience to these elements, and ends up um, strengthening them, obviously. Um, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case that's going on with the truckers. I think that the ones in Los Angeles, anyways, um, I, we need to know more about it. And we know, we, we know so little, I think, about how these things are developed. I've tried to read, read the Dutch press <clears throat> about what's going on with the, with the Dutch farmers and it's really difficult over here to get a sense of it. Uh, so what's happening over in Los Angeles now, from what I read, is a very much a developing situation. Where do communists put their lot in there? I mean, we know where the International Longshore and Warehouse Union rank and file put their lot in to the extent that they refuse to cross you know, the informal picket line of the truckers. How do we imagine, in a broader sense, some sort of unity between say, uh, classified and misclassified workers. These are the sort of questions we should be asking. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we can answer them right here, but there has to be some alternative to people continuing into this, like, um, what's called in Europe uh, Pujadism, because like, mm-hmm. the, the, like, reactionary 
small farmers in Europe actually have a very long history of political organizing, and it often looks anti-EU, anti-technocratic, anti-NATO, interestingly, uh, anti-big business, but also, of course, anti-labor as well, mm-hmm. because they require like inputs of very cheap labor all the time. So how do we situate ourselves in this direction? How do we understand um, some sort of way to for these forces to be channeled in a direction towards actual freedom mm-hmm. and not freedom to like, um, to, for, for one yeoman to accumulate right. over the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's a deeply political question and that this conception of freedom, um, the petty bourgeois people largely control the discourse and the social imaginary yeah. over what, I mean, this, this is like the, the basic critique of liberalism is that what appears natural is just, the dominant uh, or like the hegemonic ideas of, of capital accumulation, right. um, which root itself in this fantasy of like the small of the entrepreneur, of, right. the, of the socially mobile small business person. Um, so until there are, are uh, categories asserted from like a, a proletarian mass movement that can become a vanguard position that elements of the middle class and petty bourgeois can defect to, then right. we're, we're not going to see any... Yeah, we're, the only freedom we're going to see is the the freedom to not wear a mask and yeah. cough on anyone who yeah. complains about it. The freedom to uh, to spew nitrogen wherever you'd like in the in uh-huh. the pursuit of profits. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Like what, without a proletarian pole, you know, to navigate, without a class for itself, uh, in order to to bring the defectors, like you said, from the petty bourgeois and even maybe some from the bourgeoisie. Um, you're right that the discourse stays in like this very naturalized, dehistoricized, petty bourgeois framework where we're left with a, d- a decision whether to support big capitalists or small capitalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither one is going to ultimately, of course, offer any solution to, say, like the climate crisis or pollution in Europe or uh, declining workers, uh, truckers' livelihoods over the last 50 years since deregulation and the destruction of, like, you know, the mass Teamsters, uh, you know, union. But the the choice facing the working class is not even um, small versus big capitalists. They're, they work for whoever they can work for. Uh, right. But then if the conditions um, for the small capitalists are getting worse and worse, then the workers are going to be the ones who get their pay cut, get get fired, and or have to you know, uh, work at higher rates of exploitation. So suddenly that nitrogen fer- fertilizer is like, you know, really you're dependent on that as a worker yeah. for like maintaining your... Your lifestyle, so sure. you're going to start empathizing with the the economic struggles of your boss, right? Yeah, and um, not you know, the environment. Like you might really love the environment and not like the idea, and understand totally why nitrogen fertilizers are so bad. But like, what are you supposed to do about it? Like, right. you have to pay. You have to pay more for the gas prices. You have to pay more for food. You have to earn less because there's a less efficient fertilizer that your boss right. is using now. Yeah. Like why are, why are you the one paying for everything? And, and this is, I think you, you put your finger on exactly the way in which many workers are brought along into this, which is that, uh, yeah, you know, like this ties in with the inflation thing. If of course the price of food goes up, then the cost of your social reproduction goes up and your, your, your standards of living go down. And so what the, what is being offered by, various different elites and technocrats around is a semi-solution or at least uh, enough reform to to the to the um, productive apparatus that uh, the uh, consequences will be borne by everyday people in terms of the things that they uh, consume in order to keep themselves alive are more expensive or in many cases unavailable any longer. Mm -hmm. If this is what you're going to offer people, if this is your political vision, if it's about austerity and cutting back, it's very difficult or it's very difficult to understand why people would get on board with it, except out of a sense of like self-sacrifice and collective responsibility to say the planet or humanity in a system that completely obviates you know everybody's um ability or want to think about things from like the grand total mm-hmm. social perspective and it's just uh, this system that they they call globalism it's just increasingly uh decrepit and clearly not capable of doing what it aims to do and i yeah. think this is 
this is what's at the heart of the slogan, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Yeah. Um, because, first of all, it's uh, there's an active you know, jouissance. I'm not sure if I'm using that term correctly, but jouissance. You're, you're saying something that you're not supposed to say, which is fuck Joe Biden. Sure. And, you know, uh, there's that video where the, the woman, uh, you know, pretends what she's hearing when she yeah. hears fuck Joe Biden. Is that was where Brandon. the meme popped off. Yeah. Right. Incredible so, video. So there's this, um, you know, uh, it, it works on many levels because you're skewering that kind of censorship and that kind of politeness, that like f- fake politeness of like, I'm hearing this, but I'm going to translate it to mm. something innocuous. Um, and then there's also the s- sarcastic cheer towards a dying regime, like literally a dying man yeah. who is not able to uh, explain the problems, let alone do anything about it. Right. Um, and so Let's Go Brandon just becomes like the chance of primarily the right, but uh, it's just such a popular slogan or just such a popular idea that like inflation is caused by the ineffectiveness of the executive uh, as embodied by Brandon. Um, it's, it's this populist cheering of the death of liberal democracy. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, the executive is like the last branch of the government that people had any faith or support for. And uh, even Trump, as like cult-like as he is, as popular as he is, had, you know, barely any more support than Brandon does now. Like Brandon's less popular, which is incredible. But like... Well, conditions are much shittier. Right. Um, But people know that Trump... I I, I think even most Trump people don't... are, Are not under any illusion that Trump coming back in and... and putting in Bannon and all the alt-right people and draining the swamp is going to solve anything. But I think people just want there to be like some kind of dictatorship to get this nonsense over with already. Yeah, yeah. And if Trump is the one who looks like he could actually change things, uh, you know, it's, it might be, it's worth the gamble to a lot of people who don't really have any faith in it. Yeah. Or, or for so many people who their politics boils down to fuck you. You know, who feel attacked on all sides by liberal culture, by out-of-touch elites or mm-hmm. whatever. And the one thing they could do, obviously, like they did in 2016, was to put a big middle finger up. You know, the there were a lot of uh, issues during the, the Trump years, as we remember, but uh, inflation wasn't one of them. And inflation hasn't been an issue, God, since the mid-1980s at this point in time. And we're not in, like, beginning inflation times anymore. It's been, what, six, seven months at this point that uh, inflation has been at levels that we haven't seen in such a long time. Um, Do you have, like, a theory of inflation? I mean, because if you don't have a theory of inflation or if the listener at home doesn't have a theory of inflation either, you're in very, very good company. (laughs) Uh, Your your company includes uh, Paul Krugman. Uh, Your company includes uh, Keynesians in general. monetarists uh neoclassicals there's some sort of like weird pastiche of like guesses that they put together in order to really understand how the economy works in general but then inflation uh specifically so if you hear even jerome powell talk about what their plans are at the fed in order to raise rates or whatever it's a lot of guesswork you know there's like this rough beast of the capitalist economy that's moving around them and like the technocratic managers of it like kind of have like a tradesperson sense of like how these things fit together and they have certain levers that they've developed you know that they can pull at various different mm-hmm. times or pull off on or whatever but like i don't know inflation seems to be a thing that has scared the shit out of the ruling class um, yeah because i mean inflation you know it, we wouldn't talk about it uh as inflation if it didn't affect the reproduction of labor power. Um, It's about people being able to drive to work. It's about people being able to eat enough food. It's about people being able to, uh, you know, have a relaxing enough weekend and do what they want to do so they can come back to work refreshed. Have a stable enough uh, household situation that, you know, they can not just go to work on Monday, but also like reproduce that labor power for another generation. And so when prices are uh, not matching up with what workers can comfortably afford to reproduce themselves, uh, you know, either on a weekly basis or a generational basis and like, you know, the, the the fact that uh, we're so this generation is having so few kids is now 
people are starting to really wake up to like what kind of problem that's going to be for the future of the economy yeah. uh, in the United States and worldwide. Um, this is a, a crisis that shakes the core of capitalist social relations, which yes. is value. Yes. And yeah. I, I do not have a theory of inflation, but Good, me I either. think that inflation <laughs> some way expresses this crisis of value. Yeah, I think it, I think that's right. I mean, I, I like I, I've been reading a lot about it and I'm not sure. Maybe one of the listeners like shoot me a, a DM or jump in on the Patreon comments or whatever and point me to some uh, good directions. I honestly, I'm, I'm not like that good at political economy. I like have some <laughs> things that I read. That's what I'm always saying about you you know yeah. sean doesn't know anything about i don't him. know he's don't not know a shit i i don't know i know enough to critique so i know enough to look at like what's the neoclassical theory right uh-huh. it's like it's about the monetary base so it relies on supply and demand it's about how much money how much liquidity is out there in order for there to like to juice the gears of not just lending but then also ultimately employment and production right so it's a supply and demand theory which it seems insufficient to me um, right. because you know Marx famously said supply and demand is so general that it doesn't really explain anything and then you have this sort of like Keynesian-ish take on it, which is all about expectations. You know, it's a, it's a highly subjective sort of understanding of inflation. And the idea there is that as wages, as prices rise, uh, workers demand more in wages. As those things come up, you start like a price-wage spiral where workers and bosses and everybody are anticipating their expectations are for more inflation to arise in the future. So they start thinking subjectively then like about uh, charging more or uh, trying to earn more in the future. Then this gets tight, like wrapped up into the economy. And uh, basically the whole thing shoots out of control and that's how you get hyperinflation. So it's very much like uh, it's about surveys of individuals, expectations of how much prices are going to go up in a certain amount of time. And then like a Paul Krugman will look at that and be like, oh, well, expectations are going down. Mm -hmm. So we might be at the end of our inflation and none of it. And they have all these little funny indicators like underwear, for example. There's like I forgot what the uh, there's like a state bureau that like randomly monitors like underwear sales. Sales the federal at, underwear bureau at, de- yeah. at, at department <laughs> stores, <laughs> and it's like, wow, underwear sales are way down. This means people do not have high expectations for themselves or their future. <laughs> they do not have enough. Uh, this is a real thing. The, the skid market theory of crisis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and I mean, yeah, like <laughs> they measure all sorts of shit like that. The, parenthetically, there's like really funny like bureaus that still exist in the government. Like there's like a cheese bureau. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like, like all these holdovers from the 1930s, when, like, especially in agriculture, markets like completely broke down. That's why when we were kids, you'd see like a commercial that was like, "Cheese, glorious cheese," uh-huh. and it would show a bunch of different cheese wheels, and it was just like an advertisement for like cheese in general. Yeah, there's all these advertisements just for food, for, like, pork, pork, right? Yeah, milk, like the other white meat. Yeah, or, like milk. It's what's for di- whatever. But yeah, those come because like. The agricultural um, producers won the right to f- advertise for free on like oh, common really? carrier networks okay. coming out of the New Deal, in, in order to like help them, I guess, realize the agricultural you know commodity mm-hmm. value that they had. But you're right, you're right. So like against all these other theories, which are based either on supply and demand of monetary supply, or based on like surveys of how people feel about prices or whatever. Uh, they circle around, I think, these problems um, because they don't take seriously or even understand or think is important uh, the conception of value, right? So what's necessary, I think, for us uh, as lay people, and maybe the listeners or professionals out there and can school us on it, is to try to square what we're seeing right now with the sort of research and um, thoughts and discussions that we've been having on this podcast for years now uh, about the sort of things we talked about with Ted Reese on uh, capitalist breakdown or uh, Jason Smith when it comes to like uh, the service economy uh, and uh, industrial productivity, Aaron Bananev about uh, automation uh, and things like that. And also, of course, to try to square inflation with uh, the climate crisis because it's my sense, you know, uh, and I might be wrong about this, that the green revolution of the last 50 years or so, which really brought, especially with the large, like, um, core Latifundia 
agricultural production of places like the United States, Argentina, Brazil, uh, South Africa, Ukraine, and Russia. You know, there was this deep, deep, deep like productivity gain on these giant, huge industrial farming apparatuses using all this nitrogen, using all this fertilizer, using highly automated techniques to the point where like one uh, capitalist, you know, one agricultural capitalist can have like tens of thousands of acres mm-hmm. and produce like enough for an entire country on one fucking farm. Um, that seems to be reaching some sort of limit. And the limit to that seems to be environmental. Mm-hmm. It seems to tie back to what we were talking about with uh, the Dutch farmers. It seems as though there's like a real inflation might be reflecting scarily a real like carrying capacity problem. For well, the world. in defense of uh, the global homo, uh, <laughs> <laughs> things could, you know, agriculture could absolutely be reorganized in a way where there's abundant, nutritious food for everybody. And one way that that could happen is just to ban fucking uh, cattle and yeah. uh, and uh, uh, industrial Spoken farming. like a true globalist. Uh, industrial bugs, farming of pod. animals. Yeah and, yeah, and they are starting to uh, farm crickets for yeah. protein. And, um, and, like, this is a very... A reasonable technocratic solution that you know, and I I'm, I don't want to eat crickets. I'm a vegetarian, um, mm-hmm. uh, but there are other options like the lab-grown meat uh, mm-hmm. kind of stuff um, that will probably be indistinguishable from you know uh, you know some places you, you can get, you get you get a taco or uh, or a hamburger or something, and it's already mostly soy. Mm-hmm. It's already mostly TVP. It's yeah. got like some meat flavoring in there. McDonald's it's not hamburgers sold are famously, as vegan. Yeah. Well, I think McDonald's hamburgers mostly meat, but places like Jack in the Box, you know, okay, they used to have yeah. tacos that were like 99% vegan, except they had a little bit of beef flavoring in it. Uh, and, you know, soy is not the best protein, obviously. There's, there are a lot of better options. But if we just got rid of factory farming uh, in, in terms of like uh, its largest uh, expression, you know, not even shutting down small farmers, but just like all the corporations internationally are no longer allowed to uh, exploit animals mm-hmm. the way that they are. Um, it would it would be a huge environmental impact, sure. and all those resources could be. But the the point of these the global market is not to feed everybody. It's to make profits, right? And yes, so, exactly. uh, and this is like where this right populism, populism in general, just comes into conflict with like us facing the solutions that we yeah. need. Is that uh, one of the scariest things to write populists is like I'm not going to be able to eat hamburger anymore. Yeah, and you know this is or drive F one fifty. And this is like the big stereotype of Americans. You know, Europeans love to make fun of Americans because we love hamburger, but uh, there's fucking McDonald's everywhere in Europe. They love yeah. hamburgers over there too, for sure. Yeah, they just call it La Big Mac, La Big and they Mac. think they're so much better. Royal with cheese. But those motherfuckers have to stop eating hamburgers too. Yeah, for sure. No. Yeah, and like so, so that's like the right wing. Of capital's perspective is that it's like a, a great reset that uh, Klaus Schwab is there and is like black cloak behind the <laughs> scenes and he's I wish he's, he's like trying to slip yeah. you a cricket like come on don't you want to eat this and they're building all these pods you know they're going to try to destroy the lovely American suburbs that everybody loves so much and replace them there was with, a band like, called Vegan Reich in the 90s I remember um, Vegan Reich yeah. they were a part of a movement called Hardline mm-hmm these were not the kinds of, uh, you know, dreadlock, drum circle. Yeah, this wasn't shelter. That here. you, yeah. well, I think shelter is more or less, because they're a super Krishna. They're more yeah. or less hardline Krishna as well. Core. Okay. Uh, but Vegan Reich were like Islamic fundamentalist <laughs> vegan uh, authoritarians that wanted the to set 90s up like. were incredible. Vegan Reich was like, they wanted to set up a fifth vegan Reich <laughs> that was Islamic. I love the and 90s. In that band were two members of fallout boy oh wow yeah. cool that's a really good fun fact I mean, put that put that link in the show notes let to me just double check and entire, see if that's true. i know one of them was <laughs> leave it in regardless it's a really good fucking yeah. well uh, andy hurley from fallout boy was in the band i don't know nice. if anyone else was nice well no like uh you um uh that little excellent factoid aside like you talked about the the right wing uh, perspective on this, which is like a rejection of any sort of reforms whatsoever. 
uh, rejection of private property or of, of any of sort of effects on private property, especially small holding private property. Certainly a rejection of the any changes to the relations of production and to consumer habits. Um, something that has like a, a rational kernel within its conspiracy this shell, like you talked about with like uh, bug farming and fucking trying to move away from meat. You know, the, the left wing of capital, of course, has its own ideas. Uh, and those two seem woefully insufficient because they too keep private property yeah, relations in place and they too involve um you know the other side of the whole farming apparatus which is not the large lot of fundia in russia ukraine the united states and canada but as instead are like the barely subsisting billion and a half or so peasants trying to eat their way as of yet largely unproletarianized in a free market for mm. food which has like utterly destroyed their ability to even mm -hmm. become petty commodity producers. You're mm -hmm. talking about like uh, over a billion people just completely left out of that entire thing. So like obviously a communist solution would not um, shirk away from trying to actually go directly against capital. Mm -hmm. But again, like we were saying before, without like a proletarian pole with which to like argue for a reorganization of production right. and it's bringing under different auspices and class power and all that instead you're 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 stuck with in this inflationary thing the idea that gas inflation for example was caused by brandon shutting down the pipeline you know what was that thing called the keystone mm -hmm. xl pipeline which by the way like i don't you can argue this online if you want with chuds like it didn't have really any effect at all because all that tar sand oil was going from Canada down to refineries in New Orleans and then going out to the global market because most of our refining is for is for export. Well, we you can argue that and, and you gas. can be like, well, that actually didn't have that much effect. And they'll say, OK, maybe you're right. Also, uh, they're just burning down all of the, uh, the factories that make food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, So, yeah. You, know, you can argue, you can, like, prove one thing, and then they'll just go to the next yeah. thing, and they'll just go to the next thing, and they just get less and less real yeah. as you go down, because these, these politics are, they're based on, like, this emotional attachment to the way the world is. This is yeah. what conservatism is, and this is what yeah. liberalism is. Right, right, yeah. Um, and it's this chauvinistic assertion that, um, categories of life as they're currently reproduced are natural and uh transhistorical yes and so the, a proletarian politics would necessarily say that this world is fundamentally upside down mm -hmm. and part of reorganizing it involves the complete revaluation of value mm -hmm. of everything that we understand in terms of you know uh you know the, our family life in terms of production in terms of economics um, and I think, you know, so we're, I was, we were like joking about like how we need to, you know, uh, eat bugs and have a vegan Reich and stuff. Obviously, I don't believe that. Um, but like a communist revolution is just going to destroy massive amounts of capital, mm -hmm. a lot of massive amounts of uh, the uh, productive process that currently exists um, is no longer going to exist because it shouldn't exist. Mm. So you can be, uh, you know, you can you can feel so good about yourself because you're you're working in a, a commodity producing factory somewhere, but the commodities that you produce should not exist. And you are also selling yourself as a commodity to produce something that should not exist. Mm. And all of that energy that you have could be used to do something that should exist. Right. Yeah. There is a there is not only an immense waste. Of uh, of what we're in terms of what we're producing, but there's an immense waste of our creative powers to make a better world. Yes, and no, that's we're all just leaving that on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and that's a really good segue to talk about. I think the other big aspect of uh, inflation, which Varn and I have touched on, I think a couple times, and maybe bears repeating here, which is that. Um, You've seen over the last two years, the last 10 years, the last 20 years, in the, much of the capitalist core, the last 50 years, a deep and lasting disinvestment in the production of like consumer goods and like consumable commodities. Um, things like, oh, I don't know, um, formula for infants. You've seen like uh, the profit rates on these like vastly productive apparatuses 
decline to the point where capital doesn't even see much interest anymore in investing in new plant for these things. Uh, capitalists, uh, the bourgeoisie as a whole in a place like the United States doesn't see much interest in investing in infrastructure anymore to move those things around to even like facilitate, facilitate the production of goods. You have like um, an intense, because of this profit squeeze, an intense concentration and combination of capitals you know, in the productive apparatus, in the quote-unquote real or physical economy. Um, this is a process that's been ongoing, and it's this contradictory process that shows both the incredible productivity that um, our global economy is able to uh, produce things with such a vanishingly smaller um, percentage of humankind actually working on the sort of things mm -hmm. necessary to keep everybody alive, but also shows a deep and fundamental crisis of the profit system mm -hmm. that there's all this money going into fucking tech, you know, right. going into advertising, going into building new modules for our eyes to look at, all this money going into various financial services, right. going into administration. And so, some of it's just like literally nothing. Like literally uh, nothing. Uh, Corey Robin wrote that book about Silicon Valley: work, 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 yeah. work, 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 die. And what, what this chapter that I always think about of that of that book is somebody started a company that had really good branding, but it literally never had any intention of doing anything. Mm -hmm. It was just a brand and it still got billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Like no one was under any illusion that was anything but just an empty brand and it still got the money. Look, yeah. I mean, this is, this represents so much of our economy because like you were saying with um, agricultural goods, you know, of course, capitalists don't produce for use. They produce for exchange. They produce for surplus. They produce for profit. So, we're in this insane situation where because it's, it's, it's very unprofitable to create the sort of things necessary to reproduce humanity on a whole and certainly uh, in a way that's like sensitive to the horrible things that commodity production is doing to the environment, you have this like long-term secular disinvestment in capacity and infrastructure that we're running into at this point in time. One that's not, of course... Um, a like a, a human tragedy or not one that is uh, foreordained by like how many resources we necessarily have although things like oil and gas are getting harder and harder to to, to get from the ground or whatever um, what it is is a central contradiction of the profit system itself right it's about the mode of production that we have right now in a rational society in a rational globe we can imagine producing for use so that the disinvestment in things like building a new plant for formula for babies in the United States uh, would be a priority of society but mm -hmm. instead as it exists now it's not a priority instead it's all this money going into tech and like services and stuff like that so you have this many decades long tendency I, I think that we're starting to see very clearly now as like infrastructure breaks down as there's not enough ships to move things around uh, and add to that then the last what the last two years have done so you're talking about an already decrepit productive apparatus of humanity add millions upon millions of dead workers onto that add this immense concentration of capital that we talked about add on peak oil Right, because those tar sands are not as easy to get energy out of. In fact, they, they, it takes a lot of energy to get the energy out of the oil that we have now than it did, you know, 50 years ago with that good shit. Add to that uh, all this massive rent seeking we're talking about with intellectual property, uh, we're talking about with tech and all that stuff, um, and monopoly pricing that comes out of that too. And then importantly too, because this all comes back to value, this all comes to the creation of a surplus. A completion of a three or four decade long process of capitalist transition in China, where you had about a half a billion workers free to capital, proletarianized to come in and give one last big jolt, you know, to the capitalist system by being exploited uh, highly. Uh, that transition now with the rise of a middle strata in China is kind of playing itself out to the point where now China is looking and building its own periphery with the Belt and Road Initiative and trying to make Africa the sort of Africa and, and East Asia um, the sort of location for them mm -hmm. to um, to export their surplus capital and, mm -hmm. and, and, and continue this process anew, which is running into all sorts it's of problems. It's falling into deep crisis. This is, yes. the, this is the story of Sri Lanka. I don't, I don't know if like FT is the best source on this stuff. Oh, but it's a it, good bourgeois it's, source. Yeah, it seems like uh, this is Chinese investment. That's, you know, this is this is... 
China is, is is becoming kind of what the United States and the IMF were to uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, like the or, or like Germany to Greece. Yeah. Like these countries are failing, and uh, so much of China's economy is built on the speculation that they would industrialize. Not and you know this is that's the liberal per, fantasy. It's, this it's, is that's the neoliberal fantasy, yeah. and it's not perfidity on the part of like the the Chinese Communist Party. This is literally what capital compels you to do. Right. It cannot sit. Finance. You cannot. You cannot allow capital to sit in one place. It has to circulate. Surplus capital that you build with like uh, 30 years of creating an immense industrial apparatus in China, that surplus has to go elsewhere. And we're seeing the fruits of that in crisis right now. The last thing I would say, and you pointed to this as well, is uh, this inflation is a reflection of the breakdown of what's called the rules-based international order, which is American hegemony, which is dollar hegemony. We're starting to see that in serious crisis. We're starting to see something like a multipolar world rise. We're starting to see deglobalization. We're starting to see these sort of nodes and networks of capital accumulation and commodity circulation and realization. We're starting to see the American as the consumer of last resort. We're seeing mm-hmm. all this entire world that we've all grown up knowing this like uh, what was supposed to be this sort of like world historical process that was going to make the entire world free and look like the United States. Yeah. We're starting to see that shit come to a screeching halt right. and actually go into reverse. Right. So inflation, too, reflects, I think, the breakdown of the Washington consensus, the rules-based international order. God forbid dollar hegemony falls apart because then all of a sudden... Well, that's the thing is America yeah. still appears to be the last savior of yes. this international order. And um, there are still things about the United States that appear far more stable and rational, actually, Believe it than the way the rest of the world works. Um, yeah. uh, like birth rates, for example. The United States has done better with birth rates. Than Thank you, Mormons. Most <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shout out to our Mormon listeners out there for, for pronatalism. And Gen Xers. And Gen Xers. But, Respect you know, to Sam Cedar. Thank you. Uh, but like, I think now you know, people our age are, are, reach, are hitting this moment that people in other countries faced maybe 10, 20 years ago, which is like there's just not enough money to have kids. Yeah. And it's not like a lifestyle thing. It's not because we're all like urban hipsters. Like, we can't afford to have kids. We don't have enough room. We live in these cramped our, little apartments. Look at our life prospects. Look how high rents are. Look at housing prices. I mean, this is, yeah. And it's right. not just a... This is Japan 30 years it's ago. It's also just not a middle class thing, too. Like, birth rates are falling. You know, there, there's this, like, kind of anti-Malthusian, like, knee-jerk to this stuff that, well, like, you're just saying, you're just talking about birth rates because, like, birth rates are raising in, uh, in Africa or the global south, but they're falling there, too. Yeah, no, I mean, the, this is another one of these processes of historical development and it's of not, capital. It's, and what's bad about birth rates falling, uh, from my perspective, is not that there's going to be less workers, um, or uh, from my perspective, it's not good because, like, there's less, uh, you know, disgusting humans to consume right. or, you know, uh, to, Parasites to murder Gaia or whatever. Yeah, like the dude in the Matrix, <laughs> like the robot guy. Yeah. Um, but it's that people can't live freely and can't choose what kind of life they want to live. They can't yeah. choose to have kids or not have kids. They can't choose to have a family or not have a family. Which takes um, away, like, this essential part of what it is to be a human being. This is being ripped from people. Mm-hmm. It's been ripped from people in Japan. Uh, it's being ripped from people in Europe. Um, in China, it faces the same thing. This is the future. This is what, you know, the, the Klaus Schwab, this is what the Bill Gates, this is what the Tucker Carlson's of the world, you know, they're all scared of. Because from the, from the general standpoint of capital, this is a crisis for them. For us, as the working class, it's a different type of crisis. It's a very real and lived crisis. It's one that fucking the inflation, again, that we're seeing right now is a reflection of. I know I'm not here. You and me aren't here to solve what inflation means. I was just thinking about how blinkered the whole discussion about what what this inflationary moment means and the breakdown of globalization and stuff. The blinkered discussion that you get with it uh, about it, not just in the bourgeois press, but everywhere. We are moving. It feels like into a different age. We are reaching limits, uh, real material limits. Um, to capital mm-hmm. that uh, that are very very important, and I think we need to think more holistically about what this moment means. Right, we have to square the uh, crisis of value that's at the heart of inflation with the crisis of gender, the crisis of race, uh, the crisis of national production. Yep. Right, the the crisis of the environment, the crisis of health. Like all of these things are deeply deeply linked, 
to the uh, presumed natural principles of what it means to be a, a subject in capital society. It's breaking down. It's breaking, breaking down. Breaking down. Something new is emerging. It's not going to look like the Bolsheviks or the IWW or uh, Nazi Germany. Um, these were these were responses to the crisis of capital 100 plus years ago. The crisis, the response today is going to look very different. Yeah. But we're still trying to overcome capital, yeah. and so the task is the same. Yeah, and 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 dealing holistically with matters like this. And another important one, of course, in the in the list that you mentioned is war, right? Because we still now, where it was uh, in what late February that the war started. We're we're in like about month five or this six. Is normal now. Yeah, it's just it's not ongoing. even scary anymore. No, I know. Remember how frightening it was right. with the nuclear saber saber. It's like a pleasant and... thing to go to the Ukraine benefit show and wave the flag, yeah. and it's like, oh, so sad that the Ukrainians are dying every day. But it's it's it, it's no longer shaking people to the core the way the way it did initially. The, 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 the mass shootings aren't either. Like yeah. a complete like degradation and breakdown of like. You know, society to the point where people don't know if they're going to be safe going to the fucking shopping mm-hmm. mall or some like artist kid who has no other expression and is completely alienated and isolated is just going to blow your fucking head off. Mm-hmm. Man. This is not like sometimes I feel like a Cassandra. Sometimes I feel like I'm like, oh, the sky is falling, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at the state of society in the world right now, it is. Things are things are fucked up and we, we have to start confronting them head on. But we can also live like this. Everybody, like, maybe if you said this stuff in the early 2000s, now you're not. Now everyone agrees with you. Well. Because it's just obvious. It's obvious. And in the words of uh, Vegan Reich, this war, it never ends. Time after time, again and again, the endless struggle between grace and sin. The war outside manifests from a war within eternal jihad. (laughs) It's finished. (laughs) See you in the bonus.